I'm Andy Thompson, Senior Editor of Private Debt Investor, and welcome to the Private Debt Investor podcast. PDI recently published its LP Perspective Survey, which provides a window into LP's thinking as they get to grips with an environment buffeted by high rates and geopolitical uncertainty. For today's episode, I sat down with Reggie Vettiseri, Lead Portfolio Manager at Decalia, to discuss some of the survey's results. Vettiseri and I discussed the significant increase in investor appetite for private debt, opportunistic market conditions, as well as the changes in investor attitudes, and much more. Download the full LP Perspective study at privatedebtinvestor.com or at the link in the description. And to hear more episodes, head to privatedebtinvestor.com forward slash podcast, or you can search and subscribe to the Private Debt Investor podcast wherever you like to listen. Okay, Reggie, well, thanks very much for joining me this morning. Now, we've just produced our LP Perspectives survey, which is a test of investor opinion around the alternative asset classes that we cover. And, you know, as always, it's thrown up some very interesting results. Uh, We spoke to well over 100 investors, so I think this is a pretty good test of uh, LP opinion. So very interested to hear what you made of some of the results that we uh, uncovered. I mean, first of all, obviously, people talk about, or there has been some talk about a golden era in private debt, private credit, and appetite still seems to be strong. Uh, Obviously, there are some challenges as well. What we found in this year's survey is that more than half of investors said they wanted more private debt over the next 12 months. And this was a a significant increase over the 38% that said the same thing a year ago. What do you make of that, just the level of appetite and also whether that makes sense to you? Yeah, absolutely. Well, a pleasure to be here. And as you say, it's always a very interesting survey. And I think particularly this year at what many people have identified as a turning point in private credit markets with with all that talk that you you just mentioned. And absolutely, I think it makes sense that you are seeing LPs indicating a much stronger appetite for private credit. We have really been seeing over the last year, I think, three things change which have impacted the momentum for private debt. First of all, we've suddenly had these quite opportunistic conditions in the private debt market. We've got higher interest rates. Clearly, that means a benefit to credit at a time when actually equity markets and, and other parts of the investment universe are under pressure. We've seen opportunistic conditions because the banks have been pulling back. And so that all creates that first point, which is that people are suddenly realizing that there's an interesting return opportunity here. But also, there's another sign of a development in the market and investors' attitudes towards the market because you've had for the first time over the last three years a number of difficult things hit the investment universe, uh, hit private credit. We've had COVID, we've had the tech slowdown, uh, we've had interest rates. And actually, there hasn't been the disaster that some of the skeptics of private credit would have imagined. For the last 10 years, many people said, oh, well, this is a new untested asset class. We don't know how it's going to behave when we have a a real period of challenge. And suddenly, that worry, uh, even though we're not at the full end of this particular cycle, is beginning to recede a lot from people's mind. And then the third thing that I think is going on is that we're beginning to see it emerge as an important asset class. Before, one of the reasons that people didn't invest in private debt 
was that they didn't always have a private debt allocation. If you've only got a program with a mandate to deliver 15, 20% returns on a net basis from private equity, it's very difficult to invest in private debt. People increasingly beginning to see that this is a part of the market that they need exposure to, programs are developing, and that's creating a big opportunity. And yet at the same time, I think the one thing for all this talk about golden moments that that people sometimes forget when they look at the historic data is that last year saw one of the biggest allocations to private debt in, in terms of how much funds were raised as a proportion of the overall fundraising market. But actually the amount raised was lower last year than it was in the previous year because the overall fundraising market shrunk because there was just less money to go around. People had you know, less allocations for private markets full stop. And this year, I think the survey reflects not only that long-term belief that this is an asset class that people want exposure to, but a slight brightening of the mood in terms of how much fundraising capacity there really is out there in the market. So we should see both an absolute as well as a relative increase in the amount of private debt activity. Uh, Thanks, Reggie. I think that's a really good observation about the fundraising as well. We've become accustomed to saying fundraising has fallen without necessarily looking at it on a relative basis, uh, where obviously private debt is coming out stronger. And I suppose, you know, one of the other things that came out from the survey was around returns, the returns outlook, where there were particularly strong expectations. I know you remarked on this when you looked at the survey and saw this extraordinary result, really, that, that investors... Absolutely none of our investors in the survey thought that private credit would underperform its benchmarks over the coming 12 months. And 53% were confident in outperformance versus 37% uh, 12 months ago. And also, it should be said, 16% thought that the asset class would underperform 12 months ago. Today, nobody is saying that. What do you think explains that level of confidence? Yes. So first of all, I never know when I see statistics like that, whether I should be excited or afraid. Um, (laughs) Sometimes uh, when you see nobody thinking that an asset class is going to underperform, it's it's a time when you sort of have to ask yourself the question, are things running ahead of themselves? Um, And to be fair, I I think that would probably be uh, something that you would feel if you, you were talking about sort of like punchy tech valuations at uh, at certain points in the cycle i think in private credit it's driven by something else it's driven by the fact that everybody can see that interest rates are higher than they were a couple of years ago and it is just obvious to any lp who's got familiarity with this market that the deals that are being done with a similar kind of fundamental risk profile actually arguably a lower risk profile because you're betting against companies at the bottom of the cycle and and there's sort of less for them to fall in terms of their valuation, in terms of where their EBITDA could go. You're seeing the deals done on better leverage on that sort of lower EBITDA with significantly higher returns. And I think one big difference from last year is that last year, a lot of people were very worried about what the outlook would be like for private credit. We talked about that a second ago in a downturn. And people have begun to realise that one, the downturn that was expected is, and I'm not going to make giant predictions about where exactly we're heading, that's not my job, but most people think that it's not going to be a deep, deep recession and we might have a recession, we might have a protracted downturn, but it's not going to be the bloodbath that people expected for the economy as a whole. And secondly, I think there's also growing confidence 
the the private debt managers have done a reasonably good job insuring up their assets because they've had quite a long time to adjust in this cycle there has been a lot of equity injected a lot of you know even the companies that had covenant defaults actually allowed uh, a situation where the debt investors could use that default to insist on extra protections which means they're actually better shored up for what comes ahead so not only do we see the higher interest rates but i think the expectation of the negative side of this uh, equation has become more more comforting mm. Another thing that the survey does is to look at where investors are putting their money. And um, over the years, I guess that's something that's remained fairly consistent. And in a way, that makes sense, I suppose, that people are more inclined to invest in the areas they're, they're more familiar with. So if we look at this year's survey, we find almost half, 45% uh, of investors looking to invest even more in uh, direct lending over the next 12 months. And the second most popular category there was mezzanine and subordinated debt at 18%, so quite a bit lower. And then again, when we look at regions, uh, we saw 30% looking to invest more in North America in the next 12 months. Again, the next most popular region was Europe at 17%. So you know, looking at areas like uh, direct lending, looking at North America, these are still the things that investors are, you know, taking comfort in. It's where they want to invest. Is that necessarily the right thing? And would you have expected, in a way, investors to be a little bit more adventurous in looking at other places and other areas to invest? Well, it's a very interesting trend. And it's something, by the way, that you see across a lot of asset classes within private markets. Uh, we are living in this period where the biggest firms with the most classic strategies have been seeing the biggest level of growth. And that remains to within the private credit universe where the very big firms focusing on direct lending are, are growing faster. You know, sometimes they call it the age of the dinosaur. It's it's the place where the, the bigger, the better, the people who can swallow everything, eat everything, be more aggressive have actually done very well over the last few years. And I think that's natural also in a growing asset class where many people are experimenting with private debt for the first time or, or, or in the early stages of building out a program within private debt. It's very easy to go to the core cool parts of the market before you then you know, expand into the adjacencies around it. Now, uh, I think you raise a very interesting question here. Is that the right strategy over the long term? And is it the one that will give you the best returns? I think, um, you know, using our sort of dinosaur analogy again, I mean, that, that, that sort of giant thing works when you've just got lots of feeding opportunities around. But actually, if you take out a, a long term, if you sort of think about how the markets might evolve, if you have too much capital within a place, when you start becoming a, you know, private debt starts becoming a very large portion of the leverage finance markets in places like, you know, traditional LBO financing, it's harder to generate that return premium. Unless you think that private equity generally will pay more for its debt than it did in the days when they were primarily bank financed, it's hard to believe that when private debt becomes a very large part of that market, that it's going to generate a consistently higher return. Private debt can outperform, it can give better execution certainty, it has all sorts of tools at its disposal to also pick better and select better. But I think in certain parts of the market, as it matures, it will just be natural that you see a compression in the returns 
um, relative to the other benchmarks. But what you also see is that there's a huge range of other opportunities where private credit has not fully penetrated. Areas like the asset-backed market, areas like you know lending to technology companies, credit secondaries, uh, NAV financing, huge new uh, sub-segments of the private credit market where it's much easier to find that opportunity, where there's less competition like there used to be in the old days of the, the private debt market. And I think as the market matures, it's just inevitable that we will, over a 10-year period, not necessarily next year, but over a 10-year period, see more and more interest in these other areas of private debt. And likewise, people will increasingly be thinking, okay, I've built my allocation to private debt, I've started with North America, but actually, I want a globally diversified program, or more European investors will say, I want my home markets within these areas, and you'll see something that resembles the market as a whole. Yeah, you made the point about building a long-term allocation. And so the point here being that, you know, coming back to what you were saying in, re in response to the first um, question, you know, there are still a lot of investors for whom private debt is fairly new and they may be making allocations for the first time or they have specific private debt allocations for the first time. So natural for them to go into, you know, what are perceived to be the more established orthodox areas. It's those investors who've already been investing there for some time that you would be expecting to develop their portfolios in other ways. Yeah, I, th I think I think it's a combination of both. So the, there will be an aspect to which investors build a core part of the program, sort of larger investors trying to sort of mimic the market and they'll follow where the market is developing first. But then investors also have, you know, a, a very different in terms of what they're looking to achieve. If you've got, you know, some of the first experimenters are also some of the people who are most interested in trying to push their returns up. They're coming into private debt because they want to get a significant premium from their traditional bond holdings, not because they're trying to replicate the market as a whole. And so you'll find amongst a variety of different investor types, people who will also be saying, I want a particular return profile here. And different parts of the credit market offer that for me. And we shouldn't forget that the private credit market, unlike private equity, which basically always targets this sort of 20% target of, of IRR, which has been the industry standard for a long period of time, private debt has a range of different opportunities and products available, ranging from, you know, asset-backed things to corporate loans with very different risk profiles fundamentally from the segment and very different positions within the capital structure and the return profile that you can get for it. So LPs will look, what do I want from my program over time and realize that there's actually a huge menu of options, not just a one-size-fits-all opportunity, and they'll pick which ones make sense for their programs. Yeah. Looking at the secondaries market, this is one where I think you don't have to go very far back in time to uh, a point where you were really struggling to identify who was investing in this part of the market. It was no more than a handful of people, possibly less. And we've seen over the last sort of year or two, I think, some very significant moves in the credit secondaries market with some very long established blue chip names coming into that market, raising significant sums of money or setting up partnerships, etc. And that's beginning to be reflected in our findings. So in terms of investors committing to the credit secondaries market, back in 2022, only 7% were saying they would do so over the next 12 months. 
that's now risen to 21%, which in just a couple of years seems quite significant. What are your thoughts about the level of maturity that secondaries has reached? Well, it's certainly developed a lot over the last couple of years. I wouldn't in any way call it a mature market, though. I think it's kind of funny to think about this now, but it was only two or three years ago that you'd go to some of these conferences and the private credit secondaries topic was often having sub questions around it, like, will private credit secondaries ever take off? Do they make sense? I always thought that that was a very easy question to answer back then, even when the market hadn't taken off, because it, it, it just simply is a very useful tool for sellers to manage their exposures in an asset class where people actually sometimes want better liquidity and they've moved into credit because they want better liquidity, shorter duration, and therefore more likely to sort of move in, in and out of those asset classes. And where it's just simply a fact that whenever you have a sizable asset class that is illiquid, the secondaries market will catch up with it. The last couple of years have been very interesting, partly because the market took too long to evolve. And the people who did come into that market are seeing very attractive conditions. You're seeing fundamentally discounts often in the secondaries market of quite frequently 15% or, or, or more in these kind of deals. Not that different from what you are seeing in the private equity market, except that in the private equity market, they're often reflecting the fact that the underlying assets have probably weakened relative to their NAV in a way that a good credit portfolio simply hasn't. And so you're just capturing alpha when you're able to be one of the first players within that market. And some large players have moved in. There's certainly scope for many more players to move in. It's only growing in line with the way that the private credit market has grown over time. It's actually got scope to grow also as a proportion of that market. And there are so many different types of credit assets out there and so many different return profiles that you can get within there that there's also scope for specialization within that market. You can have senior private credit strategies, junior private credit strategies. At the moment, many people are able to price actually to junior type returns with senior type risk. But we'll see an explosion in the, the range and variety of those strategies over time. Interesting. Be very interesting to track that over the, the coming years. Another uh, talking point that arises from the survey is ESG, where, of course, it's become an, an interesting area of discussion. Uh, we've had the whole, what people describe as the politicization of ESG and some interesting things happening in North America, particularly in Europe and other parts of the world. Perhaps there still appears to be more of a commitment to it and it seems to be higher up people's priority lists. I know you can't generalize because within North America itself, there are some very, very different uh, views on the topic. But again, you know, some interesting results came out of the survey uh, where Back in 2022, we had 74%, so three quarters of investors, saying that a strong ESG policy would lead to better long-term returns. Uh, that then dropped uh, last year to 69%, and then again this year to 59%. So I wondered if you could maybe comment a little bit on what's going on there. And also, there's this sort of ongoing discussion about how the ESG approach in private markets compares with public markets. Uh, again, interested to hear your thoughts on where the markets are, relatively speaking. Yes, I think this is a, it's a very interesting trend what's happened in ESG. I mean, we, we saw a huge amount of attention devoted towards ESG, particularly the peak was almost a sort of 2021 22 period in terms of the level of talk around it and some level of backlash particularly actually within the public markets i think that's where it, it first came from now the important point 
is that when you look at those numbers that you you just quoted, most private markets investors are still of the view that ESG is important and not just important, but it actually delivers better returns for them. So it's still 59% who are saying that a strong ESG policy isn't just something they want, but something that they think will actually improve returns. Um, and so the kind of pushback that you see sometimes when you read the FT and uh, some of the things that are coming out of North America has not developed to the same extent within private markets. And I think there will be a big split between North America and Europe. And I think one of the reasons for that, particularly in private debt, is that if you look at the public markets, one of the reasons underlying it, as well as the political thing, is that people have done quite well out of oil and gas and defence. And some of the things which an ESG-focused investor actively tries to avoid but if you actually think about those segments, yeah, maybe you can make a quick buck over over a while just trading that up as oil prices increase. But if you're a long-term credit investor stuck with something for five years, do you want to be in oil and gas? Do you want to be in defense, which depends on whether there's a war going on in time? Do you want to be in heavy industry, chemicals, fast fashion? Most of those kind of segments where you might be able to make a quick play particularly if you're in the public equity markets, don't actually lend themselves very well to private debt investing. And if you're fundamentally looking at the long term, you can actually say, well, those industries that don't feel sustainable for environmental reasons, but are just the same as those industries that don't feel sustainable for other more prosaic reasons. And they're not necessarily the ones that you want to overexpose to. And likewise, if you believe that the best way to protect yourself in a credit instrument is to be in long-term secular growth opportunities, it's actually quite easy to find opportunities, which also are about solving the most pressing and growing challenges out there in the economy. So certainly, I, I think that, you know, forgetting about the sort of like the short-term trend here in the way it goes, most people do recognise that that's a valuable thing. And then many people also see it as, as, as a valuable thing in its own right. And so we'll always have ups and, and downs within this. But I feel this is like one of those uh, those revolutions that you sometimes see, you know, like those 19th century revolutions, 1830s or whatever, where it's met with some pushback. And the, and the people who had all those aims at the, the start of the revolution don't always feel like they're, they're progressing. But if you take the longer term sweep of everything, they're on the right side of history. Uh, still on that theme, you know, as someone who advises clients on on building their portfolios, uh, including in private debt, is it your view that private debt offers the sort of level of choice at this point that you would like uh, in an ESG context? So whether that's firms structuring their vehicles in a certain way, for example, Article 8 or Article 9 vehicles, or whether that's, um, you know, let's say, impact-type funds. Do you feel like at this point in time, there's range of choice there to put client money into that you would like, or do you feel that the asset class has still got some way to go? Yeah, I, I think the most important thing is actually not necessarily having a lot of impact funds. I think that that's developing and that's part of the market and that's relevant for some people. But the most important thing is bringing ESG-focused standards into what you're already doing and the, and the managers who you want to invest in, not because they're an ESG manager, but because they're just a good manager. And I think the industry is is making progress on that front and there's still more that can be done. And so over the last couple of years, you, you've gone from 
simply producing a brochure at the end with a picture of some children running past uh, a wind turbine in sunny fields of wheat to <laughs> to actually saying, uh, okay, we're going to have as best a go as we can in terms of, you know, putting metrics in to our reports. But also, we're really going to do proper ESG diligence on deals. And actually, sometimes it's not even about rejecting or prioritizing deals for ESG, although that's sometimes helpful, but it's also about doing things in a way that a private market manager can do. So you say that there's a problem with uh, some kind of environmental risk at a factory in a company that you might be investing in. You put a covenant into the loan document saying you've got to rectify that within 12, 12 months. We've seen that in documents. Or, or you realize that there's a impact that's being generated by a company. We did a, a deal with a company that leases cars, and that's not necessarily an ESG-friendly environment, but they realized that they could significantly increase the amount of electric vehicles within their fleet. By the way, a very nice opportunity for them, which they thought commercially made sense. But they set targets around that. And that worked its way into the action plan surrounding the loan documents and the deal itself. And not only, again, for this sort of point of return, not only did you have a impact here, but you also set the company up so that a little while later, it had a fund, which was an impact-related fund actually investing into it, quite surprisingly, and it, it had cheaper access to capital mm. on the equity side than it might otherwise have done. So... You can do a lot more within that space, within the framework of what is already being done, just incrementally improving the kind of products that are already on offer. And I think that's the most important thing. It's not having a class of impact investing, um, which is nice in its own self, but the biggest prize is not having 5% of the investment universe doing something special. It's having 100% of the investment universe being incrementally better. Yeah. Maybe just to, to round things off, um, I wonder if there was anything in the survey that you found particularly surprising and maybe looking forward 12 months, whether you'd expect anything to show up in the survey this time next year that might be a little bit different from what we're looking at right now. I mean, let's let's take the sort of question of what's going to happen over the long term and a bit of futurology here. I think, <laughs> I think first thing, I think the private credit markets have a long way to grow. And this will be just a bigger and bigger piece of allocations. And some people have begun because they sort of see uh, all these people talking about golden moments to ask the question, are we in a private credit bubble? Uh, have, have we reached peak private credit now? When the market has actually shrunk over the last year in terms of fundraising, as we talked about a little bit earlier, that doesn't necessarily make sense. But also on a, on a much longer term perspective, you can, uh, you know, there's a few ways of thinking about this. Private credit is 16% of the total private markets sphere. What could that grow to over, let's say, a decade? Well, one way of looking at it is saying that from an investment demand kind of perspective, if you see an analogy with what happens in public markets, where the 60-40 split is what investors have traditionally been told to allocate towards, well, why wouldn't that over time, actually be more similar in private markets? Why wouldn't you have people actually want within their private markets portfolio a much bigger proportion of downside protected instruments? There's no fundamental reason from the demand side. And then from the, the other side of the equation, the supply side, well, if you think about the credit markets in the public sphere across everything that occurs, they're vastly bigger than the equity markets. And certainly if you 
take even something like LBO financing, 60% of the capital structure in a typical private equity deal is made of debt, and 40% is made of equity. Over time, if private credit starts penetrating in there and also goes into places which aren't private equity financing, it has a much bigger opportunity to grow. So that market, which today is 16% of the private market space, it's very easy to imagine that doubling again. And remember, it's doubled over the last five years from about 8% at the end of the 2010s. Easy to see that doubling again as a share of the market. Uh, and of course, the whole private market space growing. So I think we'll continue to see that. So that's that's not a surprising thing. I think we talked about one of those things that perhaps I think will change over time, which is that you will see people realize that there's a greater range of private credit strategies. It's not all one thing. And if you want to get the best returns, it's not just about betting on the sort of the biggest and most well-known programs. Uh, it's also about finding the opportunistic spaces in a market where there's also going to be a load of emerging sub-asset classes for a while offering very differentiated kind of propositions around them. And I think that on the return expectations points of view, I think we will see for extended period of time, a slightly extended period of time, a higher level of return because interest rates won't collapse. I mean, they'll probably come down a bit. There'll be a sort of tempering of those interest rates, but fundamentally, though, they won't come down and they will take a bit longer probably to adjust in private credit than they did in the public markets, just like they took a bit longer to actually get up in private credit than in the public markets. But you'll also see, partly because of that, this move towards actually looking for alpha. So it's it's not just going to be, I believe this will benchmarks just generically because private credit is an opportunity there'll be more and more people saying i actually want to find out where there's real alpha because i'm backing a team who can compete in a less competed market who's got a different way of originating of underwriting who's got a structure and capability that adds value to companies and i think in the next 10 years there's going to be a much greater focus on value addition and selectivity in a market where you're not guaranteed to outperform, as as that survey perhaps suggested uh, you are in private credit at the moment. Yeah. Okay. Well, thanks very much for your thoughts, Reggie. Really appreciate that. Um, a lot of very interesting insights there. So thank you for your time. Thank you very much. That again was Reggie Vettiseri, Lead Portfolio Manager at Decalia. Be sure to download the full LP Perspective study at privatedebtinvestor.com or at the link in the description. For more episodes, head to privatedebtinvestor.com forward slash podcast or search and subscribe to the Private Debt Investor podcast wherever you like to listen. I'm Andy Thompson with BDI. Thanks for listening.